Gone are the days of knights and chivalry, and yet that hasn't changed God's vision of you as a man of valor. Today, pornography is a simple mouse click away, and sexual addiction is at an epidemic level. Dr. Mark Laser is an internationally known author and speaker, the leading Christian authority on sexual addiction, and the host of Faithful and True's online radio production, The Men of Valor Program. Here now is Dr. Mark Laser. Welcome to the Men of Valor program. Uh, today we continue our journey through the book of Nehemiah, the 18 principles as they are listed at the back of the Life Guide for Men, published by our Life f- Recovery International, our friends down in Orlando. And today we're doing something kind of funky because as we were preparing for the show, we noticed that, and I should uh, preface this by saying that, you know, I wrote these 18 principles back in the late 90s. So here we are about 20 years later. And uh, I was just noticing today as we were, as we were talking that principle number uh, 10, which says accountability means guarding the weakest places. And that's based on the, the scripture in, in uh, Nehemiah about uh, the enemy's going to attack and Nehemiah's station guards at the weakest places of the wall. And I think maybe I was not necessarily uh, uh, dividing this right, but, but last week in our discussion of that verse, we really covered this principle Uh, number 10, about where are the weakest places of the wall. Yeah, as we got into principle number nine last week, we kind of found ourselves, you got on a bit of a roll, and it just Mm -hmm. by nature led itself into principle 10 there. So rather than being repetitive for our listeners, I I think we are opting, and we also discovered the same thing with Nehemiah principle 11, which accountability is always in a group, not always, not only one person. Right, and that goes back to Nehemiah principle 4, which is that you need an army, and that's based on Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9, which is that the king sent with Nehemiah on his journey to go from Persia back to Jerusalem. He sent the army officers and the cavalry, and I think what what has happened is in the last 20 years, I've started teaching these 18 things in terms of seven, and that's where perhaps I'm uh, getting confused. I own it, so I apologize to the listeners if they were anticipating uh, a whole show on 10 or 11, but uh, I would go back and listen to the things we've said about uh, Nehemiah 4 and then Nehemiah uh, Principle 9, and you'll get those two in it. So These principles have kind of melded there together, So, which brings us ahead to Nehemiah Principle 12, which we will address today. <laughs> which Are you sure about that? I'm almost positive. And Nehemiah Principle 12, Mark, says that our motivation for transformation should be selfless. So in uh, the 14th verse of uh, chapter 4, uh, Nehemiah is uh, giving a motivational talk, I think, and he basically says, don't be afraid of them, the, the enemy, the uh, attackers. Uh, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. The verse does not say fight for yourself. <laughs> so, And it basically points to the, mo- the motivational uh, piece that I think we are successful when we are fighting for others. And uh, I'll get back to that here again in a minute. But the concept of selflessness is related to one of the spiritual questions that we ask here at Faithful and True at every uh, men's workshop. And, you know, I wind up, you know, asking quite often in individual sessions and also in group sessions that, and that's the question, what are you willing to die for? So 
In other words, as these uh, defenders of uh, Jerusalem and the New Wall Project, you know, anticipated the attack, they had to know that there was the uh, distinct possibility that they could be killed. So in signing up to be defenders, they were basically taking an oath that, uh, in this case, they would die for their faith, they would die for their city, uh, they would die for this uh, building project. Whenever I think about this one, uh, I always think first of, uh, you know, military people that, you know, when they are, what's the word I'm looking for? They sign up and then they are... <laughs> I wish you'd uh, they find take it. A, they take an oath, yeah. Uh, they, 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 they take an oath. They're enlisted. They, they, are, they are sworn in. One of the things that they take an oath is that they will do whatever they need to do, including dying for their country. So I think it's, uh, in the military perspective of it, um, it's really uh, fascinating to me in terms of history that most of us baby boomers were raised by members of the greatest generation, uh, the Great Depression era, the uh, World War II veterans, and so forth. And as you know, we all understand that history. Uh, when that when that war came to be, um, there wasn't uh, any questioning about doing your civic duty. Uh, uh, there were lots of people who, when uh, FDR and then the Congress declared war on Germany and then Japan. They went right down to the draft board. They just signed up immediately. Um, there were guys who, for some physical limitation, were not necessarily eligible for the draft, but they did whatever they could do to kind of fake their way through the physical. There were even those who uh, lied about their age. Uh, so in order to get in. In order to get in. And if you want to learn more from a fascinating resource, um, Go purchase Tom Brokaw's book, The right. Greatest Generation. That's right. A well-written book about exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly right. It is a great book, and he tells so many personal stories there. And then, of course, he tells the story of stories of what they went through. And, uh, you know, I always think about uh, my father and father-in-law. And uh, in both cases, their you know lives were interrupted. Uh, marriages were postponed. Uh, in my dad's case, college education. And then eventually his seminary life was... Uh, postponed for several years. They got on boats. They went to strange places. They faced... Uh, flew dangerous missions. Dangerous, yeah. My father-in-law, uh, in particular, flew very dangerous missions, was shot at, was uh, lucky to come home alive. And, you know, one of the things about the greatest generation uh, is that they, the ones who actually saw the, you know, the, the greatest danger in combat, I think they, they never really boasted about it. They didn't really talk about it. They just considered that it was part of their obligation as a U.S. citizen uh, uh, to fight for freedom. And uh, the reason that that's important to me, I think, is because the baby boom generation then came along. And I think maybe one of the mistakes the uh, the greatest generation made was they were under the assumption that they had fought the war to end all wars and that they were going to uh, provide our generation with everything we needed. Uh, they gave us so many material things. They paid for our college educations. We didn't live through a time of depression. We didn't have a sense, I think, of uh, the, the freedoms that we, in fact, had. Uh, so then the Vietnam conflict comes along. And even as, as I'm talking about it, you know, is it the Vietnam War? Was it a conflict? What was it? Uh, but it was certainly highly controversial. There were, you know, any number of uh, people, you know, millions of people that objected to that war. And um, as a result of that, military service was uh, uh, greatly looked down upon. And instead of faking the way into the draft, so many uh, of my friends, colleagues, fraternity brothers, 
Um, We're bending over backwards to get out of get it. Get out of it, go to Canada. One of my fraternity brothers tried to claim that he had become Quaker and therefore was a conscientious uh, objector. I could go on with stories. In my case, uh, it was interesting that uh, <clears throat> going to seminary uh, was an automatic deferment. And uh, while I felt legitimately called to go to seminary, when I got to seminary, I'll tell you what, there was a whole lot of members of my class that I I would swear they were not called by God. They were they were there to avoid the draft. And there's any number of them that didn't wind up working in full-time ministry. They they stayed in seminary uh, until such time as Nixon got the uh, the draft repealed. We had a, as I've said, we had a great football team uh, at the seminary. <laughs> the reason is the Heisman Trophy winner uh, from the year before that uh, we both enrolled in seminary <clears throat> was drafted by the NFL and drafted by Uncle Sam. And uh, he knew he wasn't going to get to play football, so he decided all of a sudden to go to seminary. And so our seminary football team had a Heisman Trophy-level <laughs> quarterback. And uh, we had two other guys who were All-American uh, wide receivers, and that was basically all we needed. <laughs> right. <laughs> but those those were those days. And uh, uh, then we went through a period of 80s and 90s. Those guys are coming back from Vietnam. They were generally reviled. They were uh, spit on. They were called baby killers. They they, they were not well received. <clears throat> this whole thing turned around on uh, 911 when uh, America, again, uh, was attacked directly. And it, it was amazing to me how our attitude uh, shifted again around military service, and now it is quite well respected, and how often do we now today honor our veterans in so many different places? And rightfully so. And rightfully so. And uh, not just our veterans, but our active service people, because they have all stated that they are willing to make the ultimate sacrifice. So in other words, the reverse of selflessness is self, or selfishness is selflessness, the willingness to die for something else. And... uh, Well, Mark, why don't we take our break right now? Because when we come back from the break, we're going to be able to explore this in a little more detail. You've got great examples of how this applies and how this principle certainly applies to the community of men that we serve. Uh, You are listening to Dr. Mark Laser, and this is the Men of Valor program. struggle with the use of pornography? Faithful and True is a Christian-based counseling center specializing in the treatment of sexual addiction and compulsive behavior issues. Our well-trained staff has the highest levels of clinical expertise combined with personal experience to understand and effectively treat your sexual addiction. We have a proven track record for helping men who are seeking a transformation in their lives. Our Men of Valor three-day intensive workshops, led by Dr. Mark Laser and Dr. Greg Miller, are the most effective and affordable treatment program in the country. Our workshop alumni rate our workshops as life-changing. We also offer workshops for spouses and couples. If you're ready to make a change in your life and are seeking a treatment program provided by the top Christian experts in the sexual addiction field, visit us today at FaithfulAndTrue.com to learn more. That's FaithfulAndTrue.com. Time now for the Trigger of the Week. 
Trigger of the Week, uh, we happened uh, to see one of our great friends uh, here at Faithful and True uh, who has given us uh, several Triggers of the Week in the past. And sure enough, uh, this morning, he, he came up with one that I, I find myself to be uh, a great one. And that is uh, movie ratings. He was talking about the fact that the other, I won't mention the movie, but he was, uh, uh, he and his wife were looking for a movie to watch. And so they were looking at the various possibilities. And they came across a movie that was, in fact, listed uh, as R uh, rated. But. Uh, well, they were prompted then to see why it was rated yeah, R. Right. So they went online to do their own research on it. And they found a very reliable source, I guess, that explained in detail. Why this particular movie and the scenes therein mm-hmm. are rated R. Yeah. Now, the interesting part about it is that the movie in and of itself, in terms of if you had been going to uh, the synopsis page on a theater page, uh, it would have basically said uh, that the movie was rated R for violence, uh, not for sexual content. And uh, the movie, uh, which I did happen to see years ago, was incredibly violent. I mean, just graphically violent, gory. Uh, and all of that, and in uh, in between, you know, this massive amount of violence, there were several very provocative sexual scenes. But it was such a a small time amount of the movie that the uh, the general rating that the theaters put out did not uh, indicate that. They just indicated it was it was R for violence. The point being that more research is necessary uh, with any uh, given movie. Uh, that we're going to, because uh, just based on the rating alone, I mean, a PG rating could be highly provocative, highly triggering, just based on how they determine these ratings. In other words, I think the determination of a rating system is uh, really in need of some massive amounts of revision. But we can get tricked. I, I know there's been several times when Debbie and I have gone to the movie and been surprised it even a PG movie by the sexual content that's in it. Well, and what he was saying this morning, because I got a few minutes to talk to him about it, he said in doing their research and reading why it's rated R, it was so graphic in its depiction, in its explanation, that it was triggering. He said, I'm reading this right. explanation of these scenes. They didn't just say provocative sexual scenes. They described They what, described yeah. what was taking place. Well, yeah, and... and uh, now that I'm thinking about it, this is a guy that has historically been triggered by uh, written content, too, novels and things like that. So it was very important to him to uh, work his program. And, you know, I obviously ask him if he's, you know, remained sober through all this. And he has. So thanks be to God for that. But I think we're just kind of warning, as we do often with these triggers of the week, our general audience about uh, we need to be a little bit more careful in terms of our research before we head off to the theater. Because the written word is just as capable mm-hmm. as the visual world yeah. of being a trigger. Well, let's return our listeners then to today's show in which we're talking about Nehemiah Principle 12. Our motivation for transformation should be selfless. Yeah, that's right. And the uh, ultimate act of selflessness is uh, to die for something. And uh, one of the questions that we ask at the men's workshop, it kind of goes along with this verse, verse 14, chapter 4. I always ask them uh, when I'm teaching the spiritual question, what are you willing to die for? Would you die for your country? And they immediately, I mean, they all, you know, raise their hands and, you know, say a hearty yes. Uh, I ask them next if they would die for their children. And they say, oh, of course, you know, you know, whatever it took, you know, I would trade places. I would donate a kidney or any other organ for that matter. They would step in front of a bullet. They would do what they needed to do. 
Uh, but then I ask them the next uh, part of this, and that is, would you die for your wife? And uh, it's interesting that uh, there is usually a silence, you know, not a total silence. They eventually respond to this, and they eventually agree that they would. But there is a hesitation. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a, have you met my wifeness to that, it? That is right. And in, um, in many of their cases, I have. And, uh, you know, we understand that there are marital difficulties and that uh, there are, uh, are things about the, the wife that the, the husband perceives as not always being that helpful. But uh, the truth of it is that I think uh, scripturally, we are certainly called to be men who sacrifice in our marriage. Uh, I refer to this chapter all the time. It's Ephesians 5, where Paul does talk about marriage and serving and so forth. And it, it always opens up with saying that we should live the life like Christ. So in other words, he's going to go on to refer to marriage, and he's starting out that chapter by saying we should be imitators of God, just like dearly loved children, and lead a life of sacrifice just as Christ did for the church, loved the church, gave up his life for the church, a living sacrifice. So I think as men, uh, when we're married, we uh, uh, should be willing not to be codependent, but to be uh, servants to be uh, willing uh, to sacrifice our our selfish needs, and that of course relates to recovery because all the men who come here would would uh, would know that it's out of their anger, their rebellion, their anger at their wives many times that um, they are they are seeking to justify why it's okay to do these uh, incredibly selfish uh, sexual acts. So we're we're trying to uh, change their motivation. Uh, uh, this verse uh, is, I think, incredibly powerful. It obviously says to, you know, to trust God, um, that he's going to fight with us. Um, but then it goes on to say, you know, who, we're, who are we fighting for? Um, and I think, you know, for me, there, there have been times when I've stayed sober because I know that there are other brothers and sisters that are, are looking to me as an example. And if I were to disappoint them by getting into some kind of relapse, that would be, you know, a massive betrayal of trust. And so, you know, my fight at times against all temptation is not, you know, for me, it's for Debbie and it's for my three children and it's for all those brothers and sisters out there that, uh, you know, look to us for a source of inspiration and guidance. Well, especially as we are on uh, the verge of you celebrating 30 years, mm-hmm. that would be that would be a huge disappointment. I'm going to tell you right now, it'd be a huge disappointment, Mark, uh, to to see things uh, take a personal turn for you uh, to the negative there. Uh, mm-hmm. But but the point is well taken, and uh, this particular principle is so fitting for our community of men. And that I, I hope that this whole series of the Nehemiah principles have really struck home with our listeners. Yeah, I think this is uh, this this verse is really about the opportunity that we have to reverse the curse. Uh, we talked a lot about that this past fall uh, with the Cubs. They reversed the curse. They finally won the uh, World Series. But the curse is what's uh, mentioned in Exodus 20 when uh, the scripture there says that the sins of the father are passed on to the third and fourth generation. So, you know, one of the things we are fighting for is to reverse the curse, to break the curse, to break the uh, transmission to the next generation of the sins of ourselves, the sins of our fathers, perhaps the sins of our grandfathers. The, the scripture verse there, there says that, you know, God will pass that down to the fourth generation. 
But then the verse also says, for those who repent and return to God's ways and laws and commandments, he will pour out a uh, blessing for a thousand generations. So, you know, this fight is uh, uh, something that has a lot of return to it. I mean, four generations compared to a thousand generations, that's 996 more generations that you can impact by uh, turning your life around, by living your life as a life of sacrifice, being willing to die for your children, your brothers, your wives, your homes. I, I, I think it's incredibly motivational when you think about that. Speaking of incredibly motivational, you usually leave our listeners with an incredibly motivational thought to bring them through the rest of their week. And uh, what would you like to encourage our listeners to do based on this principle? Well, it goes back to kind of what we flew over today, and that is, you know, the principle about having a community, having an army of men. In other words, we don't fight alone. We fight, uh, um, you know, this fight. I mean, Nehemiah's group did not fight alone. They fought in groups. They fought in groups sometimes of their own families. We, f- we fight together. If you're ever wondering about this principle and what you're really fighting for, I would just strongly encourage you to get with your group and uh, together, you know, kind of get motivated because there is always strength in numbers. And as uh, you have so eloquently described to us before, uh, the strength in numbers is key to your healing journey. And we encourage you to find not just one accountability partner, you know, but, but 10. And, you know, have somewhere to turn when you are struggling because uh, that's what your accountability partners are there for. Uh, you've been listening to Dr. Mark Laser. I'm Randy Everett, your co-host, and we thank you again for joining us today. We hope that today's message and this entire series is one that's striking home for you. You know uh, from today's lesson that you're not just fighting for yourself, you're fighting for your children, your wife, and your home. We hope that this coming week will be a week that's filled with many blessings and with great vision. You've been listening to the Men of Valor program with Dr. Mark Laser. For information about this program or to learn more about Faithful and True, visit us at FaithfulandTrue.com. That's FaithfulandTrue.com.